words that people speak are like seeds that go into our hearts if we allow it to do so and if we fail to uproot those concepts. Here is a really fun story, though, of something that went into Pam Paget's heart. Pam is a member of the Body of Christ. She was selling her old car, and she went to her metal box where she keeps her titles and her birth certificate, and the car title was gone. Also, the title to her house was missing. And she fretted around for quite a while about it and prayed about it that day. And then she told me about it, that she couldn't find the car title. So she couldn't sell her car until she found the car title. And she had a young man who was interested in buying her car. She said she just kept thinking that at some point an idea came to her that it was there was a better place to put the car title and the house title. But she couldn't remember where the better place was. Well, I just, I got hysterical laughing over this. I just kept thinking <laughs> the car title went to a better place. <laughs> and we laughed and laughed and laughed. And she said it really made her feel a lot better after we laughed all day about it. Every time I thought of it, I'd say, oh, your car title went to a better place. So she, the only thing she could think of is she, she called the uh, motor vehicle division to see about getting a new title printed. They made an appointment with her for Thursday, which was two or three days down the road. And if she did not find the title before Thursday, she would go into the DMV and they would give her a new title but she looked for the title for three days she went to pick up the new title on Thursday and <laughs> we were standing there talking and it was like a light went <laughs> it was like a light went on inside Pam I could see her eyes change and just like oh that may be in this location and she told me she said I think I might know where the car title is. And she said, I think it might be in the freezer. And I said, well, I hope if I die, you don't put me in the freezer. <laughs> A better place. So anyway, she went to the freezer, and sure enough, there was a car title. She already had a new car title, so now she has two car titles. So she already had, uh, uh, I mean, so she found it in the freezer, of her refrigerator. She also found the house title in the freezer of her refrigerator and then she remembered that a few years ago when she was doing some remodeling, well even prior to that, she had read a little high school newspaper they had sent her from her high school in Oklahoma and this woman said they'd had forest fires and her house burned completely down and she said in the article um, she had her papers in a tin box and they just melted and burned up and she said don't think those tin boxes are safe so at that time the seed went into Pam's heart that it's not safe to keep your uh, titles in a tin box like that 
So when they were remodeling her house a few years later, <laughs> she thought of that. She, is, she didn't even know she thought of that. It just rose up inside her. It's just like a seed that you plant in the ground. And if, and if you give it any water at all, uh, it will grow. So she said, she said what she knew now happened was she read that story, and then a few years later when she was remodeling, she somehow it came to her mind that there was a better place to keep the title. But then she forgot what the better place was. <laughs> we have laughed so much about that. But it's such a good example showing how things people say go into our hearts and cause us to act upon those concepts. We can see something on television and it will sometimes go in our heart and cause us to be afraid. Many times that happens. And when that happens, we have to be aware of the fear that is being planted in our heart. And what we do is turn to God at that moment and uproot that fear by telling God what we've done and we're afraid and letting him bring thoughts to us that comfort us and reestablish us in his word. Paul said, Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Awake to righteousness and sin not. For not all have the knowledge of God. Certainly in the churches that's the case. There are many concepts that are said by church people that are fearful and contradict what the Bible actually teaches. So each of us have to be on guard. Recently a man came into our house to exterminate bugs and he said something that was very troubling. I said to him, now what you just said, that's not a concept from the Bible. I said, you can't prove that concept by the Bible. He had said he was a Christian. I said, you can't prove that from the Bible. And he said, no. He said, no, no, I can't. He said, that's just a, a saying of man. And I said, well, it's very dangerous for you to go around saying things that are concepts of human beings because you might be spreading false witness and you need to keep your concepts of God and not spread these things to other people. It's like spreading coronavirus through your mouth. And for us to speak something that is a concept of a human being can be like that. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You can help. You can hurt other people who are trying to follow God if you spread some type of saying of men. Now, here's one saying that I've heard Christians say many times. Well, we're all going to die. No one gets out alive. We're all going to die. And that is not true. Not by the Bible. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that not all will die, but all will be changed. We will be taken out of this world by the second coming of Jesus those who are still alive, and we will be changed. So we don't want to go along with this concept that all will die. When a person tells me everybody dies, I almost always say, no, 
That's not what the Bible teaches. If you will look in 1 Corinthians 15. How do you uproot this? Well, I suggest you take 1 Corinthians 15. Find that passage of scripture where Paul says not all sleep, meaning die. But all will be changed before they're removed from the earth. So that's how you uproot these sayings which frighten people which frighten you. These worldly sayings that people say that frighten you, you have to uproot them at that time. If you have another Christian speaking things to you that you know are not scriptural, you share with them the thing that is scriptural. And if they continue to live in the non-scriptural thing, you need to reject that person. Just don't keep company with that person. Titus chapter 3, they're called heretics when they reject the word of God that way. If they're a Christian, they're called heretics, or if they say they're a Christian. A man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. It's his own words and clinging to his own clever sayings that condemn him. Failing to do the word of God condemns him. And you won't be able to help him because it's very obvious that God is not teaching him when he continues in worldly sayings. You just have to avoid him. In Matthew 23, verses 8 and 9, Jesus said, Be not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ. And all ye are brethren, and call no man your father upon the earth, for one is your father which is in heaven. The Catholic Church called their priest father. Now, first I need to straighten out that there is no such thing as priest in the ministry in the New Testament church. That is an Old Testament term. In the New Testament, we have apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers given by Jesus for the work of the ministry for the edifying of the body of Christ. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12. So there are no priests in the ministries today. That is Old Testament. I had a Catholic friend a few years ago I went to Barnes & Noble to see if that scripture is in the Catholic Bible, Call No Man Father. It is in the Catholic Bible. I couldn't believe the Catholics put that scripture in their Bible, Call No Man Father, when they call their priest Father and teach their people to call their priest Father. I had a cleaning woman uh, who told me this remarkable story they changed they sent another priest to their congregation she said i don't know what was wrong but somehow i could not call him father she said i tried and i just couldn't do it i don't know what was wrong but something was wrong for the entire world jesus says call no man your father don't call these ministers father. For one is your father, even God. 
Well, I sent this to this Catholic woman. She happened to be in Arizona at the time I sent it. So I sent it by email. After about three weeks, I heard from her by email, and she said, thank you for the message. But she didn't make any change to her life. She went right on to the Catholic Church, going to the Catholic Church, and calling those men father. Now, that's exactly the kind of example where we should put them away from us. I didn't do it at that time. I was illuminated on this subject years later. So I'm not really guilty, I don't believe, in the sight of God for not putting her away. But I would know now to do it. I don't communicate with her now, and God has said to me that this about this woman. When she comes to you saying, I did this because of this specific scripture, then pay attention to her. But as, until she comes doing that, just stay away from her. Well, we live in different towns now, which makes it easier. But in my heart, I'd still like to see her. But I know I won't do it until I hear her say, I took this action because of this verse of Scripture, and then I will pay attention. We have to put them away from us. Going back to that Scripture in Titus chapter 3, a man that isn't heretic, a heretic re rejects Scripture. A man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. I had a dream about this Catholic woman. She was walking on a viaduct over some railroad tracks. I was standing there, and I was watching her. She was up on the viaduct, and she was about in the center of that viaduct. She saw me, but she tried to ignore me. On the other side of the viaduct, she fell and fell all the way down the stairs of the viaduct. She was lying flat on her back, and I don't know if she was alive or dead or conscious or unconscious, but I went to see about her, and she was just lying there. I then looked up, and I saw in the background behind her a Catholic church building that was on fire. Fire was shooting out of every window of the building and out of the roof. A man, a fireman, was standing there with a water hose, just a little thin water hose, trying to spray water on the flames. It was very obvious to me that he would never be able to save that church. So I don't know exactly what will happen to this woman, whether she I'll ever be in contact with her again, but God has already shown me exactly what to watch for, exactly when to know that I can communicate with her again. And that is when she comes to me and she says, because of this scripture, I did such and such to follow this scripture. Then I can pay attention to her. Be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners, says Paul. Let's take another example. My mother, who was not a Christian, 
after my father died, she was in such grief, and she kept going in a way that was not good concerning my father, who had died. And I once even said, are, are you by any chance praying or talking to my dad? And she said, no. I said, well, you're doing something that's not good. And I told her, you can go down, but I'm not going to go down with you. After that, she said, I don't want you to go down. And my mother was not born again at that time, and she did not go to any church. I was visiting her uh, in, another, in another city from where I lived. I opened the cabinet, and I noticed a set of Zodiac mugs that I had given my mother before I was born again. I took a garbage bag and began putting those Zodiac mugs in the garbage bag. My mother was watching me. She said, what are you doing? I didn't answer her. She said, I want to keep those. You gave those to me. I said not one word to her. I put them in the garbage bag, went out to the alley, broke the mugs on the dumpster, and threw the broken pieces into the dumpster. I took a Bible and read the following passage of the Bible to my mother, read it aloud to her. Deuteronomy 18, verse 10. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that useth divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. For all that do these things are an abomination unto the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord thy God doth drive them out from before thee. Thou shalt be perfect with the Lord thy God. After I finished reading, my mother got real quiet, and then she said to me, Well, I guess we'd better not do that anymore. She had followed horoscopes all her life. She used to buy the horoscope book at the newsstand every month and read my horoscope to me when I was a child. Now she has agreed with the Bible. Guess what? She was born again, instantly, because she stopped doing what she had done and agreed with God. The same thing could happen to homosexual or lesbian. If they read Romans chapter 1 and agree with it, they could be changed instantly. In Romans 1, 26, 27, God talks about homosexuals and lesbians. For this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. God calls them doing vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. And likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another. Men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meat. 
When Jesus spoke to the woman taken in adultery, what did he say to her? Go and sin no more. She would not be able to continue in adultery. You can't continue in your sins after God reveals to you that is a sin. I don't know why anyone would want to continue in their sins. To me, my life was perfectly horrible before I was born again. I wouldn't want to do the things that I did then. I would not want to act that way. So you can't willfully sin after you're born again. And we keep ourselves free from sin by the scriptures, by the word of God that God reveals to us, brings to our mind by the Holy Spirit to show us the way to go. Those are like signposts. You're driving down the highway and you want to turn on road 133. Well, there's a signpost there that says road 133 comes up in half a mile. So you know to make that turn. Otherwise, you wouldn't know how to do it. Well, that's the way life is. We follow a scripture, and that shows us the road to be on at that point in time, what to do with our lives, how to handle ourselves. We go along, and then there's another scripture. That's like a signpost. Do that scripture. Keep doing it until you're given another scripture. It's scripture upon scripture, and it's sort of like walking in a wilderness, but you have stepping stones that you walk on. And those are the scriptures. And that's how God gets us to the point where we should be in this life, following scriptures. It's the safest way to go. It's the only safe way to go. Really, the only safe way to go. Jesus says, I am the way. I, the word of God. Jesus, the word. That's what that means. Here's another scripture for us to consider. James chapter 4, verse 4. James says, Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world is enmity with God? Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. A friend is one who supports the way you are going and assists you in the way you are going. We cannot support the world in the way they are going or system. They go in superstitions. They click their glasses together when they sit down at a table. They're drink glasses. I don't participate in that. I'm not going to wish them good luck. I don't know what kind of superstition they do with this clicking of drink glasses, but I know it's something that has to do with good luck to you. I don't wish an unbeliever good luck. I don't wish a church person good luck if they're going in a way opposite to God. If they refuse to pray and they let trouble pile upon them and then they cast their cares on me, I don't wish them good luck because they're cursing themselves because they will not follow Scripture. These are church people. And I'm not going to let them dump their cares on me. So these are the people that are unruly. We can't afford to keep company with them. We cannot afford to eat and drink with them. We might warn them once or twice, but then we have to do what Titus 3 says if we're going to protect ourselves. 
if we're going to make it to the end, if we are going to endure to the end, we can't do it with rebellious church people. We just can't do it. Look at some of these ways that church people are rebellious. Have you ever seen at a church that you attended, have you ever seen a man marry a divorced woman at your church? Jesus says the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. How can they possibly have marriages at the church building where a man marries a divorced woman? Matthew chapter 5, verse 32. See, they do things at churches that are ungodly. Well, how can you be among the ungodly and not be judged as ungodly? You can't. If you are among them, you're going to be judged as ungodly. Judged by God. How about the divorced woman who remarries? Romans chapter 3, chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. What does it say? Well, let's read it. See, this. a lot of people say, well, we're not under the law today. Well, we're not under the law of Moses concerning sacrifice paying for our sins, the sacrifice of animals. We're not under that law. But we, these are rules for the New Testament church presented by the Apostle Paul, who makes it very clear these are the commandments of the Lord. In Romans 7, 1 through 3, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. This is Paul speaking to the New Testament church. So the next time somebody tells you, we're not under the law, you tell them, we're not under the law of Moses so far as sacrificing animals for our sins. Jesus is the sacrifice nowadays. But back then, that's Old Testament. We're not under the Old Testament law, but we are certainly under the rules of God, the law of God set forth for the church in the New Testament. They apply to us. So Paul says, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman which hath a husband is bound by the law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband be dead, she is loosed from the law of her husband. So then if while her husband liveth, she be married to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from that law, so that she is no adulteress, though she be married to another man. So at your churches, have you been watching them perform marriage ceremonies between divorced women and other men? If so... They're participating in adultery at your church. You can't join them in this. Now, what if this man had beaten up his wife? What if he had been unfaithful to her? Can she then divorce and remarry? No. Because look at 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. Paul said, this is a commandment of the Lord. Let not the wife depart from her husband, but, and if she depart. Now, she could leave him, but Paul said, 
let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband. That's the commandment of the Lord for the New Testament church. 1 Corinthians 7, verses 10 and 11. Now, what are they doing at your church? If they go against this, they're heretics. You can't be a part of it. You have to leave that church group. You have to stay away from them. Evil communications corrupt good manners. Even if you think it is wrong for them to perform these wedding ceremonies between divorced people, even if you think it's wrong, to go there and be a part of it makes you a part of it, and it will corrupt good manners of the Word of God. One of my cousins who was not affiliated with any church, not born again, told me this story. She said that her neighbors invited her to a barbecue at their house. She dressed in blue jeans and went to the barbecue. And she said, I was so embarrassed. I got there and found it was actually going to be a wedding ceremony. These two neighbors were getting married. These two neighbors were men marrying men, homosexuals. Donna Faye said, I was just so embarrassed. And she said, because I was wearing a blue jeans to a wedding. I said, I wouldn't have been embarrassed. The minute I found out what was going on at this barbecue, I would have fled. I would have maybe told them the scripture that this is a sin to be homosexual. It's a sin. Romans chapter 1. I don't know what I would have done. But I would have fled. I wouldn't have stayed there participating in a homosexual wedding. If you do that kind of thing, you're denying the word of God. You can't live that way. I've watched people go out to graveyards and decorate graves. And I talked to two Baptist women about this. And I said, well, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is a pagan act. Why are you participating in pagan acts? Then one of them said, well, it just kind of makes me feel better. Whew, I, I mean, she later was killed in a car accident. We're going to appear at the judgment seat of Christ and answer for everything we do on this present earth. If you are a Christian, you're going to have to consider what a Christian does. And you do, you consider it by the Bible, what the Bible says. This same cousin that I was speaking of a minute ago, Donna Faye, her husband died she told me she was going to go out and decorate Thurman's grave. And I said, why? Who are you trying to impress? Thurman is dead. When a person dies, they are asleep. He won't know you're there decorating his grave. So who is it you are trying to impress? I was a little surprised I said that to her because she... I've always heard all my life, Donna Faye is like, you have to walk on eggshells to be around Donna Faye. She's so sensitive. She gets her feelings hurt. Well, she didn't get angry with me. She just stood there and thought. And in a minute, she said, then it really doesn't matter where we are buried. And I said, no, it doesn't. I said, you're right. It does not matter. I think she was born again at that second because she agreed. She had insight from God. 
She had an understanding after I told her, who are you trying to impress? She, I felt God revealed himself to her at that moment. And I believe she was born again. She died shortly after that. You are not going to be justified in the sight of God at the judgment seat of Christ when you go along with sin. Whether the sin is being committed by a person who attends church or the minister who marries the divorced people at church or whether it is being committed by the world. Now, we don't judge the world, but we are supposed to judge the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, Paul tells us, If a brother be a fornicator or covetous or idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, don't eat with him. Put him away from you. Don't keep company with him. I've had to do that more than once. The Bible teacher at Word of Faith of our Bible school class was committing fornication while he taught our class. I heard about his girlfriend. None of us knew he had a girlfriend. I heard about his girlfriend, so I went to him and I said, tell me about this girlfriend. And he said to me, he said, I mean, he just him and hawed around the subject. And I finally just said, are you having sex, sexual intercourse with this woman? And he said, of course. And I said, oh, you know the Bible as well as I do. I can't have anything to do with you. I can't come to your Bible class. I can't talk to you on the phone. I can't in any way keep company with you. I was referring to 1 Corinthians 5, which he knew as well as I do. Let's read the instruction in 1 Corinthians 5, verse 11. Paul said, But now I have written unto you not to keep company, if any man that is called a brother be a fornicator or covetous or an idolater or a railer or a drunkard or an extortioner, with such a one know not to eat. For what have I to do to judge them also that are without? He's saying, I don't judge the world, those without the church. He said, but do ye not judge them that are within the church? Certainly we're supposed to judge those within the church. But them that are without, God judgeth. Therefore put away from among yourselves that wicked person. The people in the church are the ones we are supposed to judge. We are supposed to conduct ourselves by putting the, that person away when he is committing fornication and calls himself a Christian or is a railer or is a drunkard or is an extortioner. Frankly, most ministers today are extortioners. They take the scriptures and try to use those scriptures to wring money out of their congregations. They try to make you think God will not bless you unless you give money to them. And they use scripture to do that. That's an extortioner. That's a form of extortion. You shouldn't have anything to do with those ministers who do that. So many church people today fail to renew their way of life 
to the Word of God. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Renew your mind to the scriptures. Be transformed by the scriptures, by letting them cause you to do things differently. Let me give you an example of that. I was meditating in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29 at one season. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. I had been looking at that scripture for several days and trying to do that scripture, trying to let the words that came out of my mouth be edifying to the other person, to my neighbors, to my friends. Watching what I say, will this really cause them to turn to God or to understand God or think about God? Or is this just going to be a clever saying that they all enjoy laughing at? And I let it rule over me. I'd been doing it for four or five days. I went to visit my neighbors across the street. It was during the period of the, one of the presidential election periods uh, several years ago. I'm very non-political. I rarely pay any attention to anyone who's running for president, I do not vote. The Bible does not command me to vote. That's another thing. I'm not going to sanction one of these worldly men, but once he's elected, I will pray for him from time to time because the Bible tells us to pray for our rulers. Anyway, I was at their house, and this was a very enticing election to me. I was interested in the candidates. I think it was the year Mrs. Clinton was running against somebody. I'm not sure who she was running against. I know that Barack Obama was elected, and she didn't receive the nomination that year. But it was interesting to me to think of the consequences of a woman being president. And, and I wasn't for her. I wasn't or against her. I just found it enticing, interesting. So I was sitting there in their living room, and I wanted to say, and what do you think about the election? But I had been meditating in this scripture, Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Well, will that minister grace or will it cause controversy? Will it set them on fire in worldly ways, if I say that? Well, I knew which it would do. It won't edify them. It would just set them on fire. So I knew I should not say that. But I wanted to say it. And there was a real battle going on. Finally, I just got up and left. I didn't say it to them. I got up and left. Just recently, 
I was writing to a friend, and I wanted to say something clever to him. And I remembered this Ephesians 4.29 scripture. It was Holy Spirit reminding me of Ephesians 49, uh, Ephesians 4.29. See, the Holy Spirit reminds us of everything Jesus has said so that we know what to do and what not to do. Ooh, I wanted to tell him this really clever thing. But I heard Ephesians 4.29 brought to my attention. I had to make a choice. I did not tell him the clever thing. I just stopped writing. This is being led by the Spirit of God. This is conforming ourselves to the Word of God. So many people read the Bible but fail to do the instruction. I don't want to be that. I don't want to be one of those people. The blessing of God is in the doing of the Word of God. Every time we do the Word of God, I believe we are conformed again into the image of Christ. And I think this happens to us as long as we live on this present earth, that we are always being conformed to the image of Christ and making a decision to go in the way of God instead of going the way of our own flesh. I love it when I have a scripture brought to my mind. There is a bit of controversy inside me for a minute. This is such a clever saying, and I wanted so badly to say it. But I was reminded of what we're told in the Bible, let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may uh, minister grace unto the hearers. Well, I chose to do that, but it was really a battle. This is what it means to suffer in the flesh. Your flesh wants to be clever and speak these things, but the spirit in you is telling you, don't do this. And we have to make the choice between whether we're going to follow the flesh or the spirit. And we choose to follow the spirit because we belong to God, because we want to glorify God instead of glorifying our own selves. One of the really frightening things to me today is this. The preachers, for the most part, have quit preaching about sin, and they just want to preach about forgiveness. Why? They want people to come to their church. They want them to know that God forgives you. But he doesn't forgive you if you willfully sin. That's another matter entirely. Hebrews chapter 10 tells us, but if we sin willfully, there's no more sacrifice for sin. So you better look at that if you think you're just going to be forgiven for everything you do. But it's popular to think that. It's popular to speak that. It is not popular to warn the church about sins. We've turned from that. I still do that all the time. But I'm not as popular as many people. But I'm interested in doing what God wants me to do. And that is warning the church. Here is something that we should be warning the church about constantly. And you might not have ever heard this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 15 through 19. Paul says, 
At the time of sexual intercourse, the two people become one flesh. He warns the men in the church, even if you have sex with an harlot, a prostitute, you become one flesh with her. Flee fornication. Every sin that a man doeth is without the body, but he who committeth fornication sinneth against his own body. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. When did you hear that last? At the time of sexual intercourse, the two become one flesh. Flee fornication. That's what we should be telling each other, warning each other. Why? Because the way of the world is so opposite. In the 1940s, people committed fornication, and they usually hid themselves from other people. Today, they flaunt themselves in front of other people. They live with their fornication mate for maybe a year or two. Sometimes they even have a child by that person before they decide to marry. I can't be happy about that kind of marriage. I, this doesn't thrill me. And it's very difficult anymore to even be happy when somebody's getting married because you think, I wonder if they've been sleeping with each other because of the way society is today. Be not conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind to the Bible. What does the Bible say about divorce, remarriage? What does the Bible say about homosexual lesbians? Read it in the Bible. I have, I've made several broadcasts, podcasts on this subject, these subjects. Go hear them if you want to. But also this thing about at the time of sexual intercourse, the two become one flesh. You can read that for yourself. It's in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 15 through 19. We're getting closer and closer to the return of Jesus. And as we draw closer, the wickedness increases. The churches fall away from Scripture. That's what Paul said in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. There would be a falling away before Jesus returns. And that man of sin would be set up in the temple of God, in the church, acting as if he is God. That's First Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3 and 4. Antichrist comes into the church before Jesus returns. The churches are eaten up today by Antichrist. Preachers and their followers who approve all manner of sins in the congregation today. That simply shows us we are close to the return of Jesus. We are much closer to the return of Jesus. You can't be a part of a church group where they deny the word of God by marrying divorced people inside the church, by failing to teach about sin, failing to warn the people of these things. You can't sit there with them. For if you sit there with them, you sanction what they're doing. And you will be judged at the day of of the judgment seat of Christ. Each of us will be judged by what we do on this present earth. If you sit there in a homosexual wedding, you are approving homosexual weddings and homosexuality. You may think you don't approve of it, but your presence shows your approval. If you sit there where a divorced a man is marrying a divorced woman, you are approving that. 
That's your, your, your giving approval to the sin. It's not our opinion of what sin is. It's what God shows us in the Bible sin to be, in the New Testament Bible. And we have to make our judgment and our association with the Bible. We have to agree with the Bible. And we will not be approved by God. I don't care how many times you say Jesus is Lord. You are not going to be approved at the day of the judgment seat of Christ when you deny the word of God, who is Jesus. I see this people all the time. People say to me all the time, we have our own doctrine when I give them a scripture. There isn't but one doctrine, and it's the New Testament Bible. Either you conform yourself to it, or you go in an opposite way. Second Corinthians chapter 5, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we will receive for that which we have done, whether it be good or evil. It's over then, people. There's no turning. You're judged at that moment without any way to correct it. You can correct it now while you're on this earth, but you can't correct it at the judgment seat of Christ. It's over. There's no way to prove yourself then. It's all over. You're going to receive for the evil you've done on the earth or for good. And if it agrees with the word of God, it's going to be good. If it agrees with the New Testament Bible, you will receive reward. That's what our life has to be. So be not deceived. Evil communications corrupt good manners. You just have to walk away from it when you see it. And many, many people who call themselves Christians bring evil communications which are opposite from the doctrine of the Bible. Thank you very much for allowing me to speak with you today.